This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's time for football. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. Hello, it's Just for Kicks on Monday on BFM. And this week we'll be reviewing the Premier League matches that have just happened. Normal service has been resumed, I think. And uh, about a thousand deflections. Like I lost track. And our three pundits, two of whom finally are happy. Kishan and Sundaresan. Um, hello, hello, guys. Finally an optimistic uh, episode. I, I, I'd forgotten that you can smile. It's uh, <laughs> finally. And uh, Asran Rosin. Top of the week to you guys. How's everyone doing? Uh, well, I'm good. And uh, folks at the home can't see this, but his screen is entirely red with like Liverpool this, Liverpool that. Um, and unfortunately, our third pundit is not so happy, but he's professional. Uh, Arvin Sidhu. Hi, everyone. It's good to be here. Life has got ups and downs. It's a matter how you bounce back from the downs. So let's go. Okay. Ooh. Spoken like a true Leeds fan. That's right. Yeah, like a true Leeds fan at the beginning <laughs> of the season. <laughs> so, folks, um, I I promise you, this is the last time we will start the show with a Manchester United 1-0 victory over the likes of Southampton. But it's been an appalling start to the season. But the last two matches have uh, been an uptick. And so, Kishanen... Something is going right, I think, now at United. The players are buying into uh, Ten Hag's plan, but also has Ten Hag actually changed his plan to fit the players that he has? I think there has been one minor tweak, um, which is that he is um, stopping De Gea from playing out of the back. I think he's done it. Um, In the last two games, we saw that against Liverpool. We saw that against Southampton as well. I'm not sure... it's something that he really wants because you give him the choice, he'd rather have a goalkeeper that plays out of the back. But I think he's kind of biting the bullet, accepting the reality is that he's got a goalkeeper who is not comfortable doing that. Um, and until United get in someone who is, he's got to adapt to it for the time being. And I think that sort of minor tweak, you could see De Gea just hitting it long, wasting a couple of possessions. Um, but uh, that is far better than potentially trying to build out from the back and considering a free goal. So that minor tweak has worked. I think in general, the lineup has suited the style of football that he wanted to play as well. He's made some very big calls, dropping uh, Mary Maguire, dropping Cristiano Ronaldo to the bench for the last two games. Um, And in return, you've got um, a strike force that is a lot more fluid, that is a lot more mobile, um, still needs an addition up front, which we will see in the next couple of days if it happens or not. But but again, um, I, the one way to summarize this is United fans are just cautiously optimistic at the moment because you cannot get carried away with the last two wins. We know that there are issues within the team. We know that these victories do not do much about those issues except just paper over the cracks. And United fans will just continue being cautiously optimistic um, for the foreseeable future, at least until the deadline day ends. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, Arvind, uh cautious optimism but uh, I think a corner has been turned is this the last time we're going to put Manchester United at the top they're just a regular team now and they they play quite well I know we had Liverpool winning 9-0 you had Man City winning 4-2 but we end up with a dour 1-0 away from home for Man United but I get I get why why we have done this but this is exactly what the doctor ordered for, for Manchester United I mean beating Liverpool was a big thing when 
quite frankly, no one gave them a chance at that moment. But to come away from home, to keep a clean sheet, back-to-back wins, I think they had lost seven of their, their last in a row away from home. So it's important to stop that rot. Um, they clearly targeted Southampton's left-hand side of the defence because you had Musa Janapo playing in a very unfamiliar uh, position. So obviously United knew they needed to attack that and they attacked well and they attacked at will. I thought there were great uh, performances from Diego Dolo. I thought that, that assist was really nice. Uh, to what Keech has said before, Lisandro Martinez as well did really well aerially. He, he won his battles. Marcus Rashford had a bit of an off day when, when he had an on day against Liverpool. Yeah, it's good for, for Man United and it's important that they get this right and he's kind of going around putting out the fires that he needs to. Casimiro didn't start, but when he starts and gets into the flow, that's going to add a lot of strength in the middle. So I think United are on the right trajectory, but bigger tests to come. Many, many bigger tests to come for this one. Uh, Asran, I want to jump over to the noisy neighbours. Are they are they the noisy? I can't. Remember. I don't know who's the noisy neighbours anymore. Man City four, Crystal Palace two. Great match. Uh, with Palace going up early with two goals, but then City came back, and it was a very impressive display. Although I would say that Haaland's goals, I could have scored those. I mean, what's the big deal? Uh, I think we spoke about Haaland uh, a couple of weeks ago as well. Uh, he's going to score bucket loads of goals, especially with the way City play. Again, at halftime, it looked as if um, Palace was going to hang on at least to a draw. I think similarly, similar to what happened at the end of the season, how they won the league last year, they came back, they came back from two goals to actually beat opponents by just suffocating the opponents. I think they passed through. I mean, we know Man City is arguably the best team at this point of time. So, yeah, three good goals by a hat-trick for the first home game, I believe, for Haaland. And, um, yeah, what a start for Man City. Uh, yeah, Keish, it, it is um, a great start. And what... I mean, Haaland's a really new direction for uh, Pep, but it, it seems to be a, a dimension that, that somehow is working. It's performances like this, Cam, that that make me just go like, why on earth do people even consider calling Pep Guardiola a fraud at times just because he hasn't won the Champions League? It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard and we see it all the time. Uh, And I don't get it at all because he's an incredible football manager. The sequence of play that led to the third goal is a sequence of play that very few teams can ever execute in football. And that's the kind of football that we get from Pep. Yes, he spends money. Yes, Man City have always backed him throughout the years. But you just need to look across the city to find another club to know that even if you have all the money in the world without the right coach, it translates to absolutely nothing. So yes, while Pep has had the financial backing, everything that we're seeing at Man City at the moment in terms of the style of play, in terms of the patterns of play, in terms of the goals that they're scoring, the way they're coming back in matches, that is all Pep Guardiola. And that is why I'm genuinely excited for this next version of Erling Haaland because we've seen the aggressive, we've seen the individualistic-minded Erling Haaland over the last couple of years at Borussia Dortmund, at Red Bull Salzburg, where he carried the team on his shoulders. But at Man City, he no longer has to do that. And we're seeing a very different version of Haaland, one that is just hugging the final defender, one that is just playing very high up the line and stretching defences and looking to just pounce on finishes. And and, and, and the, this next stage of evolution is going to be one of the most exciting evolutions we've seen in football. 
Yeah. Hey, Arvin, let's have a quick thought about Crystal Palace. They, sure, they lost, you know, four goals, but they scored two early goals. They, they looked good. Yeah, Pep wouldn't have been happy to concede both goals from set pieces. That that would have that, and I, I think I was reading a stat there. He had only conceded one set piece goal for the entire of last season. Wow. So this has kind of broken that record. Um, but I think Vera summed it up really well. The first half performance was perfect. Um, but they could just couldn't handle the Blues comeback in the second half. The first half, I thought they did really well because they caused City a lot of problems on the break. You had Eberechi Eze, you had Jordan Ayu really running at the City backline and kind of causing them a lot of problems. And then when they spend a lot of time, when you defend so much and then you hit teams on the counter, it's obviously going to affect you when you lose your concentration and lose a bit of discipline in the second half, which is what happened. But like what was mentioned, I just think Haaland's a very scary proposition because when he does what he does really well in running at defenders, showing strength, finishing... Right now, you're seeing him being in the right place at the right time. Sort of like a Filippo Inzaghi back in the day. He's always in the right place at the right time. You combine that with their technical prowess, I think you've got the leading marksman in the world for at least the next five years. So, very exciting times for both the player and the club. Yeah, I still maintain I could have scored those goals though. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. Uh, this, This match day... All the teams, the big teams are sort of like coming back. So in a moment, we're going to be talking about, well, Liverpool here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. And we're back on Just for Kicks. And now, Asran, uh, Liverpool, they scored nine goals. That's too many goals. They should have scored <laughs> some of those earlier. What, uh, what I, you know, but six different goal scorers, including an own goal. Um, they're back to best form. I think basically it was a performance that uh, came out. All the pent-up frustrations from the previous couple of matches came out. Uh, nine goals, fantastic. I think we could see at the end, the last seven minutes, we wanted to get the 10th goal. In fact, you could see Scotty Parker asking everyone not to go up, stay in the box, because nobody wants to keep that uh, unfortunate record of being the worst ever performance uh, in, the, in the Premier League. No, So again, I think when it comes to Liverpool, the main game changer, I would say, was Bobby Firmino. Uh, we always do well when Bobby plays well because he is the creative spark up front. He's the one that draws the defenders to allow. I think last year it was obviously for the past couple of years, it was Salah and Mane. Now it's Salah and Diaz. Um, so again, the only if I could sort of blip is the fact that Salah couldn't score even though he had two decent well normally he would bury the sort of chances he could have scored our goal number 10 or 11 but again nine goals you can't really complain with that hopefully again as i mentioned uh we don't really need nine goals every game we just need one more goal than the opposition but uh yeah i'll take that those sort of performance every week uh producer daryl i think must have been pressing that button there the the electric shock button at least a couple of times there we 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 sorry for that i'll speak i'll, I'll speak to producer daryl afterwards we'll, we'll get the uh get it technically sorted out hey uh Kish, um you're impartial. Uh, the uh, nine nine nil. I mean, some of the things that people were saying about Liverpool earlier uh, were that they looked tired, um, which seems kind of strange at the beginning of a season. But their style of play does demand a lot of physical activity. I remember reading this um, really good piece on Marcelo Bielsa uh, very recently, where he spoke about. Sorry, I think it was an interview with Andrea an interview with the owner of Leeds United on The Athletic where he spoke about his relationship with Marcelo Bielsa and he said that Marcelo and him had an agreement that this style of football that they're playing at Leeds United, at one at one point, someday down the line, it was either the squad needs to be overhauled or Marcelo needs to leave. 
because a core group of players cannot be subjected to these demands for three to four years and then be expected to sustain similar levels of motivation because these demands are very high and they're almost similar every season with minor tweaks. And I think stuff like that happens to Liverpool, which is why I understand the, the, the need to tweak the team significantly. And to be fair to Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool, they have done that to some extent with Simicas, with Luis Diaz, Diego Jota. Um, you, you look at Harvey Elliott coming to the picture, Curtis Jones. The team looks very different to what it looked like three years ago. And that shift is important. But whilst that is important and that is necessary and it's happening, we also have to accept the reality that these processes will inevitably affect momentum and shape. And it will take time for Liverpool to find that right structure for the group of players that they have at the core of their team at the moment. And I think that's the process that Liverpool are undergoing. The one area that I do agree that they need a bit of reinforcement is probably that midfield. And I think Klopp himself has alluded to that. I insist that since Ginny Wijnaldum left, they have lacked an industrious box-to-box midfielder. And I think that's the one that they would like, they, they, they could or need to go out of the market and get. And, and you know what's the sad part, Cam? The sad part is the perfect player for Liverpool was available for just £25 million. And Spurs snapped him up. It's Yves Pissouma. He would have been the perfect addition to Jurgen Klopp's team. His ability to play in holding midfield, to operate as a box-to-box midfielder, very high-intensity player, used to, to, to pressing under Graham Potter as well. He would have been perfect. But 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 yeah, this Liverpool side are going through a transition um, and only time will tell how quickly they adapt uh, to the demands of the core. Uh, Arvin, I, I have to bring you in here. He was talking about your beloved Bielsa there and about the... Well, I mean, Keish is sounding like it's, it's the end for Klopp's reign. No, no, uh, it's not. It's not. It's not. He is bringing the transition over. Right, and it, it's it's doable, uh, Arvin? Yeah, it is, because he's a very good manager. Um, there's even talk now, when I was chatting with some of my Liverpool friends over the weekend, over the 9-0 win, um, a lot of them had said Trent is back, because Trent delivered a great goal, he had some great assists, but then against the bigger teams, Trent will always be defensively suspect. So there's a question of, do we move Trent forward? Do we put him on the right side of midfield? And that's something that I would like, it'd be good to see what Arsenal views on that. So I think... Klopp has got tools that's been given to him. He's kind of figured it out. Bayo will come in and play well. Javi Elliott got over a tough injury. Uh, David Nunes is still going to be a different focal point of their attack. Luis Diaz is coming up. Yes, when, when Liverpool don't start well, when you have three games and you don't win, everyone is going to bring up things like, oh, Sadio Mane is missed. This has never happened without Sadio Mane around. That's not true because we don't know. You haven't given the new guys a time to adapt. And Luis Diaz did great over the weekend. I'm sure he'll do great for the remainder of the season as well. Klopp will make it happen because he's always been able to turn it around one way or the other. And he's he's, he's always done well recruitment-wise for the team as well. Oh, well, watch this space then. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Hey, Asran, uh, yeah. t- uh, crisis, crisis Club, Aston Villa, alert. <laughs> Steven Gerrard, I've got him down as the uh, the first person to be the manager to be sacked. Although I have I have no idea who could possibly replace. But West Ham finally off the blocks. Uh, Goglin, our resident Aston Villa fan, was absolutely livid, saying that West Ham were just terrible, and yet somehow Villa managed to conspire to be even worse. Villa, Asran, I don't know what to make of these people. Yeah, I, I think definitely it's a disappointing result for Villa. Uh, talking about who is my pick for the first manager to get sacked, I will look at um, 
the noisy neighbors from Merseyside, Everton. I think Lampard is really struggling at this point of time. But back to Gerard, um, the thing is, he had the whole preseason to prepare. Basically, now his team, a uh, couple of good signings, I would imagine. Uh, the one signing that hasn't worked out really is um, so far this season is uh, Phil Coutinho. Uh, clearly, um, something's just not right at this point of time with Phil. Uh, I think um, we see more of the Phil of Barcelona at this point of time rather than the Phil of Liverpool or the early uh, Philip Coutinho of Aston Villa. So, uh, yeah, uh, a loss at home to uh, also struggling, if you can put it, West Ham. It wasn't a good performance if you if you look at it all around. I think West Ham deserved their three points. Um, uh, yeah, I, again, it's still early days. I'm sure there's still time. I, I do rate Steven Gerrard as a manager, uh, especially after what he's did. I mean, people might underplay the fact that it was the Scottish League, but... Again, he's brought Rangers. He set the foundations. Rangers are now in the Champions League, by the way. Uh, so he set the, the foundations up. Again, I do see him as a future manager of Liverpool. Uh, it, this oh. stint, yeah, I do. Uh, but not yet. Obviously, it, he needs a good couple of years at Villa with some European experience, hopefully. Uh, even though it's a Europa League. Uh, he should be used to the Europa League by now. Keisha's just, he, he wants to come hello, in. <laughs> hello, hello, Paul Ashran just took a slight slide right in the end. Just managed to sneak it right in. Come on, Ashran. I know you're a Liverpool fan, but it's about time Stevie G gets some form of reality check. It's so frustrating to watch the coverage on, for example, say Sky Sports. Jamie Carragher was having the complete go at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer throughout his reign, but he has refused to call out Steven Gerrard just once. And I'll tell you why I think this is a coaching problem at Aston Villa. Um, you look at the squad of players, you look at the players that they have in that team, there is no way a team of that, the players that they have underperforms the way they have been. Danny Ings is a consistent Premier League goal scorer. Emi Buendia has been called up to the Argentina national team and is was probably one of the most exciting players to have played in the Premier League when Norwich were playing in the Premier League. You look at Bobaka Kamara. Now, Kamara is a guy that I, I think could have walked into any Champions League side and immediately started at the heart of their midfield. This is a team that is stacked with quality. And th- there is a lot of this myth about Steven Gerrard setting um, the, the foundations at Rangers when the reality is that Rangers, he had an exceptionally good assistant manager who did a lot of the training sessions. Um, I can't seem to recall his name now, but if not mistaken, he is now at QPR, if I'm not mistaken. But a lot of these characters played a fundamental role alongside Stevie G. Now, do I think Steven Gerrard is a horrible manager? No, I think Steven Gerrard is a decent manager. Uh, but do I think he is to be blamed for a lot of things that is happening at Aston Villa at the moment? Yes, I really do think so. Because I don't think a sensible manager would have approved the Philip Coutinho transfer. I don't think would have approved that transfer on a permanent when you could have gone out there and strengthened certain other positions because you had Buendia who can play in that position. Um, you look at some of the substitutions that he makes in certain games as well and you ask yourself, what exactly is the thinking behind this decision? So I, I think it's about time Stevie G gets some criticism. Um, he gets protected a bit too much. I don't know if it's because he's a former Liverpool player or he's an England national team darling. I don't know. But it's about time he gets some form of criticism. And remember, criticism doesn't equal to Stevie G being an absolute you know, uh, flop or a manager without any merit whatsoever. No. 
criticism is just valid criticism and i think it's valid at this point for stevie g you're, you're never gonna get that out of azran um <laughs> he, i don't you can't you can't do it can you azran you just couldn't do it physically you wouldn't it's in your yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Hey, uh, Arvin, I want to take you to another troubled manager of uh, once upon a time a Scottish team of Celtic, Brendan Rogers. It was uh, Chelsea 2, Leicester 1. I mean, I don't know, Leicester looked pretty good. They had, uh, they, they, I think they had some, uh, a goal ruled out. Uh, it's, it's looking unhappy though down there. Unfortunate, unlucky. Uh, up. We have to also talk about Chelsea, though. Yeah, I've been vocal about Brendan Rodgers. I, I do feel it's the end of the cycle for him at that club. It's worrying times for Leicester because they've had a very disruptive transfer window. They've hardly signed anyone. I don't think so they've signed anyone on the senior team. Casper uh, Schmeichel has gone. That's important leadership at the back. And now they've finally sanctioned that Wesley Fofana move. I get, club, I get why clubs do this because they try and drill a hard bargain right up to the end that they can for the amount of money that they're getting between 75 to 80 million but it leaves the club very little time to go in and get your your deals done and now he's in a situation where he's got a couple of days to get some 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 signings done but other than that there are a lot of players in that squad right now who are just not performing at the level that you think that they can do like timothy castani at the back i thought he looked really defensively suspect in that game dennis pret in the middle very minimal influence harvey barnes and uh, is one of those the bright sparks that they have. You either see Harvey Barnes doing it one week or you see James Madison doing it the other week. But it's not enough. It's not enough for a club like Leicester. So it's worrying times for them, really. Um, but for Chelsea, to have Conor Gallagher sent off as early as he did, and then, and by the way, the second, first one was a bit unfair, but the second one, he totally took Harvey Barnes out. What, he knew what he was doing there. He knew what he was doing. But um, from then on, on for them to come back and get the win, uh, it's it's very very important. Reese James is the class of Stamford Bridge for me. I, I rate him higher than Trent Alexander Arnold from a defensive perspective. Uh, Trent is great going forward, but defensively, I feel Reese is a better player. Uh, Ruben Loftus Cheek was monstrous in each of his battles. So it's still that that question with with Chelsea. Do you get do you have that forward line to get you the goal? And I honestly feel before the end of the window they will get Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and that will be a big plus for them in my opinion. If you get Aubameyang that has got his head right on and wants to score and work for the team, it's a good asset for Chelsea. So good things for Chelsea, but I the, the cycle for me at Brendan Rodgers at Leicester has, has ended. And the last thing I have to say, it's concerning for them because if they let him go, I heard it's between a 25, 20 to 25 million payoff because he's on a long hmm. contract. Not an easy place for the club to be in right now. That, that actually, coincidentally, is the contract that I'm on with BFM uh, for Just for Kicks. So, uh, <laughs> you know, they have to think long and hard. Uh, so, uh, but in a moment, we're going to come back with the absolute form team of the season so far. I never thought I'd say it. It's Arsenal here on Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. And we're back on Just for Kicks with Kishnan Sundaresan, Azran Rosin, and Arvin Sidhu. And now we, uh, you know, they are the form team. It's Arsenal 2, Fulham 1. Fulham with Mitrovic open the scoring. Now, I've seen in the past few years, Arsenal just failed to do anything after that. But they came back. They fought back. Uh, Kishinan, this is a, a psychologically, emotionally very different Arsenal. It's happened really just this season. Is this a flash in the pan? Is it, are they the real deal? Is it, what, what is it about them? It, it, it's difficult to say, are they the real deal? It's difficult to say, are they going to win the title? It's difficult to say, are they even title challenges yet? But 
it is not impossible to say that that was a statement victory. And sometimes when we think of the word statement victories, we think of 4-0 trashings. We think of wins in big derbies or big games against title rivals. But sometimes statement victories can come in wars against your own self. And in this case, this was a battle between Arsenal and their own self and their own minds because the goal that they conceded was a mistake that Gabriel made at the back. Um, and from then moment onwards, it was a war against his own self. And in the end, he came out with the victory. He scored the winning goal. Arsenal did not capitulate like the Arsenal of the last few seasons would have. Um, and that is why at the end of that final whistle, you could hear that roar at the Emirates. More than other games this season when they've won by bigger margins. But this one was the statement victory. If you look at the Premier League season, a 38-game season as a long marathon, um, you could argue that the victories like they did over the weekend, the 2-1 win over Fulham, these sort of victories are like the energy gels that you use to supplement and to give yourself a bit of boost to keep yourself going in the run. Because whenever you get exhausted, you bank on those gels. And in the middle of a season, whenever things start to get tough, you bank on these victories to spur you on. Um, and I think it was a phenomenal win. Um, it, it's honestly such an exciting period to be an Arsenal fan, given everything that they've gone through in the last decade or so. Yeah, because four victories in a row, um, in by recent Arsenal standards, makes this lot the Invincibles. Um, Arvind, uh, do, you, do you agree that uh, it's a real deal? But also, I, w- I always turn to you when I talk about sort of championship teams that have just come up. I, I feel that you uh, you keep an eye on them because you never know when you might be playing them again. The fear is real. The fear is real. Trust me. The fear is very real. You see? Thank you. Yeah, these boys will never know because they're always about top six and top four. I ask them to come down to the bottom four. That's when they know a battle is really on their hands. But no, but, but, um, but they, but they no. look pretty good, actually. I, I mean, I had them surefire going to get relegated, but I, I'm very surprised by them. No, no, no. It's another pro- promising performance from a promoter team and in the London derby. What Fulham has kind of impressed me is that they haven't been overrun or they haven't been blown away in the games that they haven't been able to pick up some points. And Mitrovic looks the fittest Mitrovic I've ever seen. He looks fitter than even in the championship. He looks lean and he looks like he's working for the team. Obviously, you'll all... The blockbuster Mitrovic will always be there. Either a penalty miss or a red card. That will happen a couple of times in the season. <laughs> but he will contribute more than I, I honestly believe when Fulham will last in the Premier League. But for Arsenal, I mean, let's look at the transformation of this, this, this team and where they're at right now. This weekend last year, they were bottom of the table. They had just been smashed 5-0 by Man City. Yes, I get that the rosy start kind of has brought to what the fixtures that they've had. But you can't blame them for it. They can only defeat what's in front of them. And these are all going to just add on to the confidence and the way that they play. And the one story that's really, really good and shows the man management style of Mikel Arteta, while he gets rid of players like Pierre Aubameyang out of the club, you look at Martin Odegaard, given the captaincy captaincy Mm. armband, and really taking it on. That was a real captain's display over the weekend. And even Granit Xhaka, who used to be a tough one, he's kind of molded him and made him an effective member. So there's one thing that I really give a lot of credit to Mikel Gata is that his man management of players is among the best I've seen among new managers. So well done to Arsenal. And uh, I won't be surprised they, 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 they kind of beat a couple of the big teams in their same level 
as the season goes on as well. Yeah. So we're agreed that Arsenal are going to win the uh, Premier League this season. And so it's only just to, to work out who's going to come second. And I guess that's going to be Tottenham Hotspur. Nottingham Forest nil, Tottenham Hotspur two. I guess we're um, kind of like reverting to the mean for the Nottingham Forest. Did I say Nottingham Hotspur? Um, not even Boris. Uh, but Tottenham, two goals from Harry Kane, Asran, and he missed a penalty. Can I just uh, tell you all, folks, now that he is the third highest uh, goal scorer in Premier League history? And, uh, oh, I've lost the numbers now. It's, um, it's, he has scored 189 goals, Wayne Rooney, 208, Alan Shearer, 260, which is incredible. Uh, Asran, Harry Kane's quite good. Yes, again, uh, I think it's a good time to be in North London at this point of time. Really, I do see it's a battle between them for third and fourth place in the season. Sorry, fourth. I just said second. Come on, <laughs> Get no, with I the program. <laughs> I, I, they would probably tell, but again, I, I think Kish and uh, Arvin has mentioned a lot about Arsenal. I, I, I totally agree what Kish mentioned about the fact that I think last year you would see Arsenal self-combust. Probably Jaka one nil down would get a red card. Even Gabriel would probably get a red card. Instead, this time around, they've sort of managed to, again, find the internal focus to 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 overcome themselves. So back to Spurs. Uh, again, good performance. Uh, I think the signing of Kulusevski has been has been a shrewd signing. I think um, Antonio Conte really knows Italian football. So that was an absolute gem of a signing from uh, from the Serie A, really. Um, yeah, two goals for Harry Kane, even though he missed a penalty. And wow, what more to say? It's a, uh, I think it's a, it's a really astounding victory for Spurs yesterday. Uh, talking about what Arvin mentioned about Mitrovic, I, I totally agree. Yeah? Arvin, he's fit. It's surprisingly, probably he's lo- really looking forward to the World Cup. But uh, looking at his stats as well, I think he's top five in terms of goal scored in, in English football for the past couple of years since for the past two years I think so wow uh, yeah I didn't realise this but yeah he's he's turning into a, a solid point scorer for if anybody has gotten him inside their fantasy football team yeah hey uh, Keish so yeah Spurs um, but uh, I was thinking that with Antonio Conte is that uh, what an amazing uh, manager he must be but I would hate to work for him. And and I think I would be constantly going to HR saying, <laughs> he keeps bullying me. Um, <laughs> but uh, maybe that's what Spurs need. Antonio Conte in the world of football is widely recognized as a short-term appointment. He's not a guy oh, who's going really? to come and build a dynasty. He's not a guy who's going to come and build foundations for the immediate future. I think what's being done at Spurs is to immediately capitalize on talents that they have at the moment to get a, a, a silverware somewhere. Because I think Daniel Levy recognises that this first team, the core of it, your Harry Canes, your Son Heung-Mins, um, your, your Hugo Lorises, um, your Pierre-Emile Hoybiers, uh, there is a team there capable of doing something. And what it needs is it needs an injection of, of uh, great tactics, good coaching, to be able to bring them some form of short-term success. And this is exactly what Antonio Conte has been brought in to do. And you can see you can see that via his acquisition. You can see that via how intense he is. Um, I would be very surprised if Conte stays at Spurs beyond two, three years. Um, three years, if he goes into a fourth day at Spurs, I would be very, very surprised uh, because of the intensity mm. uh, of his coaching. But the, the, the victory last night is, is a perfect example of why Conte was brought in. Because for large parts of that game, 
I thought Nottingham Forest really caused them a lot of problems with their build-up. The only thing that was different about Forest is that they didn't exactly have a goal-scoring presence up front. They're still figuring that part of their tactics out because Jesse Lingard started as the lone forward. They had Taiwo Awuni on the bench, who eventually came on. So I think they're figuring they're figuring their 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 blueprint for the attacking department. But otherwise, Nottingham Forest did cause them quite a number of issues. Uh, but the fact that Spurs dealt with them quite well um, and and scored two very important goals to get out of that game with 2-0, that's a vintage Antonio Conte win. Yeah, well, uh, Forest will no doubt just buy another player. Uh, 15th of the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they really lose track of who they are. Which one are you? I can't remember. Um, uh, uh, Arvin, um, let's j- jump across to Brentford 1, Everton 1. Um, I think Brentford should have won this. But uh, that boy, Gordon, uh, with Everton looks pretty good. And it looks like he's going to go to Chelsea, which would leave Everton with just about nothing. Uh, the question I want to ask you, I'm, I'm, every time I'm watching it, I keep thinking this. Lampard, Gerrard, possibly Brendan Rodgers, these are all managers which could be leaving sooner rather than later. Who on earth is out there to replace these people? Well, it's a really tough question for that one, Cam. I mean, I think the dynasty of the, the the old dinosaurs of football won't come back. I don't see the likes of Sam Allardyce, Harry Redknapp. All those guys cannot adapt anymore to what the Premier League is. So you're, you're really, really looking at a very, very small list of managers. Probably someone from Serie A that would want to try themselves in, in, in maybe someone like Unai Emery. Unai Emery turned down the job at Newcastle before Newcastle went to to went and got Eddie Howe. So you can imagine even Unai Emery being backed with so much of money and being told the Newcastle project is going to be great, said no to it. So you're looking at a, a, at a really small list of, of managers. Hard to think on top of my head who you could go. But mm. again, for this one, Everton just really, they, they, for me, they, I, I know they scored first. And Anthony Gordon's goal was a really well taken goal. He's been given the number 10 shirt at Everton, which obviously has a huge responsibility on him. I, I still feel that they'll, they'll be able to keep him on. I don't see Chelsea coming in with that much more money again for him. But other than that, the wait for the first win of the season continues. And I'm just saying this is probably going to be by bad luck because they play Leeds on Madeka Day and they probably will win then. But other than that, um, other than that, uh, Brentford, I mean, Brentford just bombarded their goal. There was like 19 shots on goal. And for whatever reason, either the bar comes to su- su- uh, support Everton or Jordan Bigfoot is there. Those mm. are the two things that's, that's, that support Everton. So for me, um, Everton have just been really, really fortunate not to, not to lose this one. And even the last week as well, they should have lost. So Lampard, I agree with Asran. I still feel Lampard is the one leading the sack race at this moment in time. Only because Gerard has been given less than 30 games. He just needs to have that opportunity to turn it around. I don't know if he can, but for me, Lampard's the one that potentially will be first to go. Yeah, I, I'm glad you uh, reminded us the traditional Medeca Day uh, clashes with Leeds. That's how that's... Uh, people remember that that match. Uh, okay, very quickly then, uh, because producer Daryl has appeared to show us that it's time running out. But Asran, I want to ask you, um, Everton, uh, Liverpool fan, uh, is this looking like a really, really bad time for a, a bad season for Everton? Very quickly. It is. It is. I think um, Lampard was probably the not a good signing for them, not a good managerial signing. And the signings that he's made, he took a risk on Dele Ali that hasn't worked out. And uh, Arvin, I 
again, I do see Chelsea going for another bid for Anthony Gordon. Uh, I I do see him leaving. So that leaves Everton with absolutely nothing. I think they've spent quite a lot of money, but nothing to show for it. They're under really troubled waters. Last year, they just escaped relegation um, uh, by a whisker. This time around, wow, uh, it's a, probably another relegation dogfight for them. Okay, so uh, in a moment, we're going to finish off the uh, Premier League and also talk about uh, the KL City's match and put that in context, their victory here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. And we're back on the final part of Just for Kicks. And now, Kishnan, as we <clears throat> wrap up the uh, Premier League matches, I want to take us quickly to uh, Wolves 1, Newcastle 1. I thought Wolves looked very good and uh, they should have won that match. But uh, the question I want to ask you, actually, is will Alain Saint-Maximin ever play for France? Uh, I, I really don't know. I mean, if he was, if he was, um, if he had a nationality of any other country in Europe, I think by now he would have been called up. Um, the only issue is that he's playing. He comes from a country that's got incredible amount of options all over the park um, uh, in, in terms of um, who who starts and who sits on the bench. You look at you, you look at France's centre back option alone, and that gives you an idea of just how much of depth these guys have. I, I do want to see San Maximo. Uh, at the World Cup I, I hope we get to see him I think characters like that belong at the World Cup uh, he's an expressionist he's a, he's a creative outlet he's someone who who goes against uh, the what is expected of a modern player that is restricted by tactical demands this guy just does whatever he wants and that's absolutely brilliant at times uh, and I do think that playing in a more balanced Newcastle team with better players around him has made him a better player as well. Um, in what way? It's because he is now no longer expected to be um, the one and only hero for Newcastle to save them in every game because you've got other characters who can do similar things. And once uh, Alexander Isak starts playing, once Bruno Guimaraes gets back into the starting eleven, once Callum Wilson require, uh, recovers from injury, um, you'll see that they have a lot more options and outlets for goals which will give space for San Maxima to do what he does best. And I think that's why the next few months is going to be absolutely key um, for him to convince Didier Deschamps that he deserves a spot in that French squad um, for the World Cup. If, if he was English, would he play for England? Uh, no doubt. I, you think I, so? I think you, yeah, I, I think so. I know England have got options. Um, I know we've got the likes of Phil Foden. I know we've got the likes of Raheem Sterling up there. But, I, but at this point, I take um, Saint Maxima as an X factor alone. Whether he starts or not, it's a different situation altogether. But you can't look at a player like him and don't think that he brings an X factor that could decide certain games in mm. um, when, when the situation calls for it. Yeah. Okay. Now, Arvin, uh, the big one that happened over the weekend, the game that everyone's talking about. Brighton won Leeds nil. Yeah. Uh, Brighton uh, looked pretty good. Both sides, I felt, struggled to score. Um, uh, but Leeds have had a very good start. And then, I don't know, it was a bit flat. Brighton have been the bogey team for Leeds over the last couple of seasons. They're, I think Graham Potter just knows how to play against this type of this type of opposition. Brighton were great in the first half and Leeds were really, really disappointing. Leeds came back into it a little bit better in the second half. Um, and there was an opportunity for Luis Sinisterra. Remember that name. Luis Sinisterra is going to be a very, very good player for Leeds United. And he had an opportunity where 
there was a bit of a pass from Brendan Aronson and he just missed it by a little bit. Uh, thankfully, he didn't get injured hitting the post on that one. So, um, yeah, in the long run, if you ask any Leeds fan, if they took seven points out of 12, they would have for the first four games. There's no harm losing to Brighton away. Brighton have been great the last couple of seasons. But Jesse March would still demand more because they were quite flat. We were quite flat from an attacking standpoint. Rodrigo, who's great start for the lead season, he was giving away endless number of balls. Uh, Diego Lorente looked nervous at the back. Um, so Leeds have got a run of games now where they, they need to pick up points. You've got you've got Everton, you've got Brentford, uh, you've got Nottingham Forest. So these are the games that you expect Leeds and Leeds need to pick up and they need to have a big response against Everton. So exactly. yes, yeah, no, you 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 would think at home when you've beaten Wolves and then you've beaten Chelsea. Now you've got Everton next. You need to keep that home form up. <coughs> so yeah, um, disappointing over the weekend. Uh, but Brighton has been the scar of us for a couple of seasons now already. Yeah, Asran, I want to ask you a, a strange question. Uh, another game that I play when I'm when I'm watching these things is I wonder which team would in an ordinary world should Cristiano Ronaldo go play for, and I think Brighton is a is a. Could really benefit from Cristiano Ronaldo. Again, I, I would disagree with that. We all know Cristiano Ronaldo is, I mean, he works hard. Don't get me wrong. He works hard. He's where he is because of the sheer grit that he's put in. But Cristiano Ronaldo cares a lot about individual accolades as well. And I think at this point of time, he'll only go to any team that will play in the Champions League. He wants to continue his scoring record in the Champions League. So unfortunately, they are not in it. Uh, the current team that he's in is not in it, and so is Brighton. So unfortunately, I don't see him playing for Brighton. No, Sorry I'm, for that, I'm not yeah. saying. I'm not saying. I, I know. I know. But I would, all, all things being equal, I just think that there are certain teams that could really benefit from that guy. Like he's like a Mitrovic, really. He's better. He's, he, you know, he's better than Mitrovic, but you know, a lot of teams could deal with that. Anyway, yeah, for sure, for sure. We're, we're talking about Brighton, and here we are talking about Cristiano Ronaldo. Cristiano Ronaldo, and it's your fault, Kishnan. You made me talk Manchester United. Uh, so, but but now I want to turn to you, Kishnan, because last uh, weekend, uh, KL City won a hugely important match, and I I wanted to talk about it um, on the last uh, episode of Just for Kicks, but we, we were unable to. I'd like you to give us the the context, if you can, of what that victory, um, how important was it? It was hugely significant both for Malaysian football and for KL in particular. Um, to put it into context, 2019, Kuala Lumpur City were relegated to the second division. Um, back then, they were just known as KL. Um, that was as recent as 2019. Um, in three years, um, what we now have is a team um, that is competing in the highest division of Malaysian football, a team that won the Malaysia Cup last year by beating Jordan Takzim and a cup, uh, and a team that has finally won the ASEAN Zone Final for the AFC Cup. The AFC Cup is essentially the Europa League of Asian football, but it operates very differently in a sense where teams contest by zones first before different teams from different zones face off in the inter-zone finals. Um, so KL have essentially conquered the Southeast Asian Zone. Um, they defeated Indonesian side PSM Makassar 5-2 in the in the final in Charas, um last week, which was a phenomenal game. It was a really good night as well because it's very difficult to see Charas full for KL games. Um, and, and on that day, the, because it was a cup final, so the stadium had to be divided into one section for PSM fans, the other section for KL fans. And the KL section was absolutely full. And the atmosphere at the Charas Stadium was just brilliant. It was so nice to see. And I think the team responded to it as well. Because KL under Boyan Hodak have generally been very conservative in general. 
But against PSM Makassar, they took the initiative. They attacked. Uh, they created chances and eventually scored you know, five amazing goals. And the guy that has been at the heart of it all is this guy called Paulo Josue, who has been the uh, captain of KL through the rough times, through the relegation, um, through the promotion, through the Malaysia Cup final victory, and now again playing a fundamental part by scoring two goals um, to, to help KL beat um, PSM Makassar. And I tell you the best moment of that game, Cam, the best moment wasn't the final whistle. The best moment that for the fifth goal, um, Paulo Josue could have taken a penalty. He is the guy who usually takes all the penalties for KL and he could have taken it to complete the hat-trick. But anyone who knows Josue knows that he is never about himself. It is always about sharing the victory with his teammates and instead he gave his teammate Hadin Azman, um, who is expecting a new child, to take the penalty and celebrate um, in, in whatever way he wanted to. So, it, it was an iconic performance. Uh, it was a really big moment for Malaysian football. And now KL will officially play in the interzone finals of the AFC Cup. Uh, sorry, interzone semi-finals of the AFC Cup. Um, and they will go up against India's ATK Mohun Bagan. Oh. Yeah. Hey, Asran, you're a fan, are you not? Yeah. Of, of course, City? of course. Again, just to add on uh, to what he said, Polo Josue El Capitano is the anti-Cristiano Ronaldo. He's really selfless, really. And again, just to yeah. put into perspective, uh, what Kishan said when we were relegated in 2019, in fact, we were just promoted from the Super League in 2017. We used to play in Selayang. Imagine we used to fill in only 200 supporters in Selayang. And on last Wednesday, it was absolutely electric, 3,000 supporters again it might not seem much to other clubs in malaysia so, but, but, but it's okay. great though those are great numbers yeah yeah exactly. and you were there Asran? i was there i was there of course i mean i've i followed kl ever since i was a kid uh through the likes of uh you you played in upm and <laughs> liga fam and uh, selayang i used to go to selayang quite often and now finally this is an absolutely fantastic time to be a kl fan uh, i think a number of fans made the trip to vietnam and now i think a lot of fans now really are planning to go to india if the game still continues right now there's a bit oh. of an issue with india clubs but, uh, but it goes ahead as right uh, apparently now the, the decision is it will go yeah. ahead FIFA has given a reprieve so I think a number of supporters are planning to make that uh, trip to Kolkata for the game against uh, UTK Munbagan yeah and my apologies to you Asran if uh, producer Daryl did press the, the button whenever you said we because uh, I think in, the, in this context we, we can allow it I think but you were very okay. brave facing the electric shocks yes I'm, I'm, I'm fully electrocuted at this point in time <laughs> but, but because you're such a fan you pulled through thank you um, well that brings us to the, uh, that happy note brings us to the end of uh, this week's show of uh, Just for Kicks and only remains for me now to thank um, Arvin Sidhu a good week everyone happy Merdeka enjoy the midweek games and enjoy the day break in between Yep. And uh, Asran Rosane? Fantastic. 9-0 for the weekend was great. Now, hopefully, at least I'll take a 1-0 against Newcastle uh, midweek. Uh, that's very big of you. And, uh, <laughs> and Kishnan, who'll just take uh, anything at all for Manchester United. Kishnan Sundaraisan? <laughs> all eyes on the 4th of September, where it's United versus Arsenal. Till then, enjoy the week, guys. Yeah. Oh, I and I can't. I honestly can't bear to see Kishnan's sad face anymore. So I'm actually supporting United just for that. <laughs> um, well, thank you very much. And our producer is Daryl Ong. And uh, please join us on Friday for another episode of Just for Kicks here on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.